Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Riffey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. Back from a long weekend. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday, May 27th edition of the Rubble Report podcast. Finally got the watch in tune with the actual right date. First time in like six months, I think. But uh, we got a lot to talk about today. We haven't uh, hadn't done a podcast since last Friday. Hope everyone enjoyed the Labor Day weekend. We were going to do one yesterday, but just I was driving back yesterday morning. Borky had radio show work to do yesterday afternoon, so we just saved it all for today. But, uh, you know, in the middle of this quarantine, I figured by June, with no sports back yet, really, which is still kind of the case. I mean, you've got UFC and you've got some gimmicky golf stuff, even though golf is starting back soon. I figured, like, these shows, honestly, I figured they'd suck. I figured we'd be grasping at straws as to what to talk about. But that's not really the case at all. Today's one of those days where I don't even know where to start. We got a shit ton to get into. Fabian Lovett and Jerry and Jones transferring to Ole Miss. NBA, <coughs> excuse me, as much as we criticize him finally, has a kind of a plan to restart. Baseball is in the middle of a predictably ugly labor dispute. NHL is coming back. Uh, strap on your seatbelts or whatever the hell this phrase is. We got a lot to get into. What's up? Not a whole lot, man, but you're not kidding. I, I mean – and we could have spent, I guess, a week on the Jones and Lovett situation, but the sports could world is really gotten... though. No, no, we could. <laughs> we don't need to, nor should we, but but we could for sure. Um, but the sports world's given us stuff, and man, there are so many people that deserve credit for like just maintaining some kind of like content. Uh, just keeping this thing alive. I've read so many pieces. There are a lot of, of radio people that like write columns and stuff for their own website or whatever. And so many people have have talked about how difficult it's been to to have content during this time. And I just I want to like send them an email and be like, hey guys, if you need help, like it's not that hard right now. We have we when this started, little inside baseball. Um, there are four people that are on our radio show. Um, I do most of the planning because the other guys have separate roles. When this thing first started and Rudy Gobert tested positive for coronavirus, we had a, a conference call where we sat down and we came up with as, as many ideas as we could to pass the time, basically. We have used two things on that list of like 40 because stuff is happening still. So I don't know where people are getting this. Oh, man, it's just been so hard to do. No, it hasn't. It hasn't been hard at all. You probably have to go off topic a little bit more than you usually would, but as far as like just sheer sports content, they've given us stuff. You just you you have to like find it, I guess, but it's there. Yeah, there's been days sprinkled in, like there's been lulls in the news cycle, and sure. the lulls have really would have been killer just because there's nothing to, uh, there's no like really anything to back up on. Like if there were ever a lull, like if it was normal times and there were ever a lull in like the college baseball season or something. You could pivot to NBA or, you know, regular season baseball if you really had to. Richard likes to update the standings every now and again. It's the lulls in the news cycle that are tough. But to your point, uh, for the most part, it's been fine. Uh, and today is certainly one of those days. It probably helped that we skipped a podcast in terms of just having content to get to. But uh, 
and do anything interesting over Labor Day weekend. I'm going to go ahead and get the ad read out of the way before you answer that. I went to LB's before I drove to my girlfriend's place in Texarkana, Texas. That is uh, where she's from. She's currently at home. Uh, just accepted a job with Fort Worth Independent School District. But uh, she, the like, last part of her grad school got screwed up because of you know this whole global pandemic thing. So she's been at home. But I picked up uh, two beef tri-tips and some ribeye sausage from LB's. And uh, we sous vide the tri-tip. I learned what that was this weekend. Uh, seems pretty easy. Seems like something I couldn't even screw up because you can't even cook. You can't really overcook the meat. But it was fantastic. It was absolutely delicious. You need to go check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg scored me some serious brownie points. The meat was absolutely delicious. The ribeye sausage was incredible. The tri-tip was amazing. You're missing out. Oxford's a lucky place to have something like LB's. It was absolutely incredible. What'd you grill? I I did uh, two things. I did just regular uh, ribs on Sunday. And they turned out okay. A lot of meat. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed, and I, they were just a little too dry for me. I, I don't know. I don't wrap my ribs. I know some people do. I've had great success not wrapping my ribs because um, I just I cook them r- r- for the first three hours. I'm talking like at 215, 220. So I've been able to keep good moisture, and I've, I spritz them as well with like apple juice and apple cider vinegar in, in this spray. And so I've been able to keep them really good and, and moist. I hate that word, but... For some reason, Sunday, I blew it, and they were dry as hell. And then Monday, I tried to do short ribs on this recipe I've never used before, and I blew those, too. So not a good weekend at all for me on the grill. So, I mean, are you over-critiquing yourself, or were they not edible? Uh, no, the ribs, were they were good, um, but they were like like chain restaurant ribs. You know, like good enough, but something missing, and not yeah, like your Yeah, you get them at barbecue. Chili's. Right. It's a new yeah. golf course where business gets done. <laughs> they were like that. Uh, no, the short ribs, I, I blew completely. We had a like a 30-minute downpour, and I don't have a cover where uh, where my smoker is. I, I, I cover the smoker, but I don't have like an overhang or anything that it's underneath. And so the downpour of rain, I mean, brought the, the temperature down like 50 degrees while it was raining, and, and I, I couldn't keep it up and really screwed those up bad. They were not good, almost inedible. We had similar weekends because uh, so MC's dad was planning on doing ribs anyway, and the tri-tip was just basically another element to what uh, like I basically just added on to the feast, and uh, it started raining. He put the ribs on a uh, oh crap I can't remember what's the wood pellet grill God the Traeger Traeger yeah and it started downpouring and there was no cover so we had to drag it up under the porch like very fast uh, so eerily similar weekends that's uh. But it was good. The ribs were good. The uh, tri-tip, you need to go check it out at LB's. It's absolutely amazing. Greg, uh, Greg hooked it up big time. I cannot thank him enough for that. It was, it was awesome. But, uh, yeah, so we got a bunch to get into today. Let's just get right into it. The first probably most topical news of the weekend, Fabi- or excuse me, Jerry and Jones on Saturday morning sometime, I believe I remember right, announced his intention to transfer to Ole Miss. News that was expected – uh, and just became official with that. Uh, to be honest, I was on number six at Texarkana Country Club. So in terms of just like internet outrage, I was already, uh, I was kind of checked out of that. What was that? <laughs> what was just kind of the general reaction when the news actually hit? It couldn't have come in a shock. I mean, it was basically done, a done deal. By the time the end of the week hit, it was just kind of a formality at that point. 
Yeah, there were there were some people that cover Mississippi State that were um, reporting or speculating whatever that it may not happen. I mean, you had some people that said that uh, Ole Miss may not take them because it would raise some kind of red flag about tampering, and so if the kids went somewhere else, that would die down because that makes a ton of sense, right? Um, so here's the logic behind that, because that that was said multiple places too uh, that if. If those guys don't sign with Ole Miss, everything would die down. So if they signed with Ole Miss, it's tampering. If they did not sign with Ole Miss, it's a clear sign that there was tampering. It's pretty smart now if you're if you're wanting to drive a narrative that no matter what happens, Ole Miss is in the wrong. Like kudos to those people, the galaxy brain stuff it takes to get there. But think about that for a second. Uh, so no matter what, you're going to push that same narrative. So kudos to you for you know grinding that hard, but. That was so. There were some people that thought that it may not happen because of that, and so the reaction was still what you would expect it to be. Just from an on-field perspective, this is uh, well, we're we're skipping ahead here. This is just a guess, but I know people. I did a Huntsville radio station before before we started recording this morning, and they were wanting to talk about the Lovett and Jones thing, and it seems like the. They're everyone, like I guess, outside wise is kind of lumping the two together. But to me, outside of them ending up at the same destination, uh, the the situations don't seem all that similar, right? Because you had Lovett, who had kind of like uh, the more I read into it, he was like saying things like I should have gotten out of Mississippi when I could and stuff like that, dating back to like last football season. So he had kind of threatened or whatever kids do nowadays uh, in terms of just like kind of poked around at the idea of transferring for a while. And then the leech tweet happens, which wasn't that like early April, like uh, the days are all running together now, but uh, somewhere around know, then and immediately announces intention to transfer, then announces his intention to enroll at Florida state. Then that doesn't happen. He ends up at Ole Miss. Jerry and Jones, uh, drastically different. You know, the, you know, the drill by now, you know, seen in, uh, Ole Miss clothes, uh, in Oxford, apparently, uh, allegedly, uh, even before he is, he had put his name in the transfer portal. So people seem to want to lump those two together. And to me, just on the surface, those uh, those situations do not seem all that like similar. Just the the destination is similar. Uh, would you agree or disagree? Yeah, and it sounds like uh, Lovett was on his way to Florida State, and then something happened there. So you, the situations are different. The the destination may be the same, but. Y- I think you're right. You have to separate the two of them and the circumstances that led to their transfer and ultimately where they're going to end up. And um, I guess I understand why people are combining the two and and treating them as if they are the same, but um, no, they're different. And it's taking a lot for me to not go down a rabbit hole that we went down last week and, and I'm just going to try to refuse to do that and, and be above it. But man, it's just, there is some lazy and irresponsibility that comes with working media in this state. And, um, there's just no room for nuance anymore. None. Zero. Yeah. But, but be, because Ricky, what you just said is, is the most, it's the most logical thing. And it, I haven't seen it anywhere that, you have to separate the reason that these two kids are transferring because one of them clearly was tied to something, and maybe the other one was too. Like, if you're talking about waivers, for example, uh, the NCAA has set precedent 
on to get these kids immediately eligible. They did it with Justin Fields at Georgia, as some of you may know, probably all okay, of you know. Okay, you're going it, where I was trying to go. Yeah. So while while those two are not similar, and this is just a guess, I really don't have this source. I haven't talked to anyone about this, but I would imagine that Jerry and Jones uh, probably tries to use the leech tweet uh, to apply for a waiver in his waiver to get immediately eligible. I mean, that seems like the most rational measure, and whether that had anything to do with it or not, it, it these kids are having to weaponize. Is weaponizing even the right phrase? These kids are having to manipulate the rules the way they're set up because the NCAA is incompetent. We've been over this a hundred times. Yes, Justin they've been forced the guy. to do it this way. Yes, and so that just my my hunch would be that Jones tries to go that route to get immediately eligible. Obviously, Lubbock's transfer was a direct, uh, direct uh, like res- in response to Leach's tweet. He kind of capitalized on that opportunity immediately so where i was going with that is while these situations aren't all that similar i think they're going to try to get immediately eligible the same way you know lovett's going to do it i'm guessing jones is going to try to also don't you think yeah because he has to that's that's the precedent that's been set by the ncaa and i mean just logic would tell you and of course we're talking about the ncaa so god knows there's no real logic involved but logic tells me that lovett's waiver is far more likely to be granted than Jones just because there was a an event and an immediate reaction to that event, which makes it more plausible that that's why he left. And I just do not see the NCAA touching a race thing. Maybe they do. Maybe they put their foot down. But especially after they gave you precedent with Justin Fields. And by the way, if you don't know what we're talking about, a Georgia baseball player during a football game, yelled and got kicked out of school for it, uh, yelled, put the um, racial word in, talking about Justin Fields. Um, and obviously Former people Georgia the- quarterback who just had a hell of a year at Ohio State. This is two years ago. He gets yes. immediately eligible. When in reality was is that he, know- he didn't ever end up beating Fromm out and wanted to go somewhere else to play because he's a five-star kid and he's talented. But use yeah. that and to doesn't he have a sister? to not have to sit out for a year. Right, and I think he has a, a sister that is still in school at Georgia. Um, yeah, that, I believe that, that is event, the case. That event did not lead her to leave. So everybody, look, everybody knows that he, he wanted to play and become immediately eligible, and that's, as we've mentioned, what the NCAA has forced them to do. You had a player that was trying to transfer from Texas A&M to Arizona, and the initial re- Reason why is because Texas A&M was committing NCAA violations. That's what um, that what that's what was the best method to gain his eligibility was to say that Texas A&M uh, was wronging him in some way because that's how they set it up. Now a video it's came out like of him. It's almost like civil that, litigation. Like the way these rules are set up, it's like forcing these players to kind of go after school in some way. That's what Shea Patterson did, and, and I. I Look, I know people were upset by the misleading thing, but that was the only path that was given to him you by the, the NCAA. That was the only path that was given to him. So it's either you don't get eligible and play quarterback, or you do this and play. And a 19, 20-year-old kid just wants to play. So, look, I understand why that made people mad. And, of course, the media... Like Dennis Dodd, for example, said that Ole Miss was blocking his ability to transfer to Michigan. And that's just not how it worked at all. 
But <laughs> who has time for that? Uh, who has time for, for getting it right? That's not Ole Miss had no ability to block his transfer or his eligibility at all. But that they was the only choice. It. Yes, and it, that means nothing, obviously, because they did contest it, and he still was given his eligibility. Mississippi because State, State has is the going, option to do that here, and they're going to. It just do doesn't. Think, do you mean, think they're going to contest it? Absolutely, without a doubt. Yes. I mean, the kids can still transfer. It's just whether or not they get their eligibility immediately. I don't think there's a doubt that they can test it. Yeah. Does that help? Does that like does like I'm not. I don't maybe necessarily disagree. It. They may not. I, I don't know because they don't want to. They don't want to touch that. I mean. Okay, that's fair. Okay, I didn't even think about it. So you think they're more likely to if Jones goes this route, which I think he will. I mean, that would. You're just if you're Jerry and Jones at this point, you're just missing an opportunity by not going that route, aren't you? You have to try. I mean, why would you not try? Especially exactly. when he could he could potentially start right away. I mean, he's a good football player. Yeah, you, uh, so th- you lost Miles Hartsfield last year. You know, you've you've got Keedron Smith on one side, presumably Jalen Jones on the other. I know Jacory Hawkins had kind of been making a push a little bit late last year. There's opportunity there, if 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 not to start to be a a major contributor immediately. Without a doubt, I mean, he was going to start uh, on that secondary in Starkville. It seems like, I mean, a really good player. Uh, but he does have his redshirt available, so if he's not ruled eligible, he won't uh, miss a season because he can redshirt for whatever that's worth to you. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't foresee them not trying to get him eligible immediately, and that could get ugly just because of how they have to do it and and what they're going to have to say about uh, what Mike Leach tweeted. But Mississippi State's problem, and we talked about it at the time, was. They addressed it too many times, I think, because uh, suspending or, or whatever they did behind closed doors, uh, Mike Leach's Twitter account and had him apologize and then released another statement and had to do all these things. They basically admitted that what he did was wrong, right, and racially insensitive by making him go to the civil rights museums in Mississippi in, in public statements saying this. They've admitted their own guilt now. So if you are... The NCAA, if you're Jerry and Jones and Fab Lovett trying to get uh, immediate eligibility, I mean, Mississippi State has handed you your defense, right? Because they said this was wrong. It was, uh, and I don't believe Mike Leach was being racial, but still, it's because it's Mississippi, it's got ties to, uh, to, to a, a racist past, and he's going to have to go to these civil rights museums to learn more about Mississippi's history. That's a, an open, glaring admission of guilt. So if you're the NCAA, are you really going to deny um, these eligibility waivers on a basis of a racially charged thing when the subject involved is having to go through sensitivity training? I don't know how you say no. Yeah, and what's interesting here is 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 what does state do next? Because you mentioned it from the from the Jones side to contesting that waiver. It could kind of get ugly. Is that something that could harm your program perception long term, whether it's recruiting or elsewhere? But at the same time, you know, I mean, I call it what it is, but people don't like like the, the, the rivalry makes people act irrationally. And so to some degree for their fan base and whomever or whatever, like it seems like they, they're caught in a catch 22 here is because you contest it because that could do harm to your program long term. But two, don't you want to give the illusion you're at least trying to fight 
the perception of tampering because I think anyone can admit the optics of uh, of of the way Jerry and Jones arrived at Ole Miss are uh, are yeah. are strange <laughs> at best. And you know, I'm yeah, no one's um, ever said there's, there's definitely no tampering. It's just hard to prove. So they're in an interesting position, right? Because you can test it and risk kind of long term perception damage to your program's perception. Or do you just let it go and kind of look like you got, you got, you know, you got kind of played by your in-state rival? Uh, honestly, the more rational play is the second one I outlined, but it's an interesting position for them to be in. Yeah. No, you're not kidding. I mean, it is, um, it is something uh, for sure. But like you've said, and we've said on the radio, and um, I was sent some screenshots of uh, a. 24-7 message board, people very upset with the fact that I said um, that A.J. Brown was illegally contacted and um, no shit, and that's kind of how it works, and, and people got upset. He's just trying to be dense if you really actually believe that, which they don't. But, like, I mean, it's the same way both sides. People You'd be just, stupid not to. Like, yeah, you would be so It's the way the game's played. To. It's the way the game's played. And they don't want to hear that. When I say... I know, I know that A.J. Brown, people tried to recruit multiple schools. I mean, I, I have heard half a dozen schools through back channels tried to get that kid to transfer to their school. Jim Harbaugh and, flew a Michigan plane yeah. to Oxford. <laughs> I mean, and he would have been stupid not to. And, and people just, like, don't hear that last part. Is I yes. A.J. Brown was contacted in some way by somebody wanting him to go to Mississippi State. Also, hear this last part. I know you hear it, but State fans hear this last part. They would have been stupid not to do that. Like, that was the right thing to do, and they should have done it. And I support them doing it because God knows I don't wanted that kid to play for my team. So I don't understand why they can't – why people just can't hear everything you say. It's not – Anything other than just explaining that, hey, this is common, it's what you should do, and as long as you're covering your tracks, nothing's going to happen to you when you do it. So you either play the game or you get beat. Pick one. Agreed. Don't think this Jones uh, transfer story has completely uh, been wound down yet, but at the same time, don't really believe much is going to come from it uh, just from like a disciplinary type thing or like I wouldn't hold your breath on tampering charges just because it's incredibly hard to prove but kind of putting a bow tie on this is uh or putting a bow on this bow tie I don't know where the hell I got that from putting a bow on this on the field Ole Miss needs both of these dudes and if they could get them immediately eligible it is going to help their football team immensely we mentioned the Jones thing earlier you lose Miles Hartsfield you've got Jalen Jones on one side Keedron Smith on the other, DeAndre Prince, who pulled his name out of the transfer portal. They've got some interesting young pieces uh, at corner and a little bit of veteran experience. But uh, he's going to come in and have a chance to play and contribute immediately. I know they're, uh, from what I had read, I read states uh, an article from State's 247 page uh, that I don't even think was recent. I think it was a while back. But I believe they had been mulling the possibility of moving Jerry and Jones to safety at some point. And I don't know if that's – I don't know yet if that's what's something they're considering at Ole Miss – a uh, little early for all that, but just adding another piece of depth and a four-star athlete with SEC experience uh, on your roster 
is uh is is no, obviously not a bad thing. And then hell with Fabian Lovett, Ole Miss needs all the help it can get on the defensive line. These are two crucial pieces for Ole Miss. Uh, crucial may be a little bit of a strong word for it, but I mean this is going to help them immensely, particularly if they're able to play this fall. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean that's it's kind of what uh, Kiffin talked about in his opening press conference, right? Is um, you're not just building rosters by signing 25 kids every year anymore. You, you have to do it in different and creative ways. And uh, now this team has, correct me if I'm wrong, four transfers, uh, all of whom, depending on eligibility waivers, uh, could have an immediate impact on their football team. I mean, you've got a tight end that's a graduate transfer. He's eligible right away. He's, he's a day one starter. You've got a safety from Georgia that if he gets immediate eligibility – is in the mix from day one, even if not. I mean, the guy's probably starting, if not playing heavy minutes in 2021. And now you've got a defensive lineman that you desperately need that's probably going to be immediately eligible because the NCAA has set that precedent and a piece in the secondary that if he's eligible right away is a day one contributor, even if not, you've got two guys in the secondary, former four-star kids, both of which can be impact players in the SEC waiting for you in 2021. So even though those four guys aren't going to reflect in a recruiting class, those are four immediate impact in some cases, uh, but impact players, quality SEC caliber football players that you got from some other platform besides recruiting. And, And like he told everybody he was going to build rosters this way on day one. And I mean, this is how it's going to work at Ole Miss now. So Look, if you look at his last recruiting class last year, what were they, 34th or whatever? Something like that, right? Yeah, something in that neighborhood. How would it change if you added these four guys in that recruiting class? It would be dramatically different. Yeah, I I was sitting there trying to do the math, and I was like, well, that's a futile exercise. It would be dramatically better, to your point. That's four four four-stars it would add. Four of them. So I think that that – should be factored into to your thoughts on leading into Kiffin year one because he told you one thing. He's not just going to sign kids to sign them. He's not going to take players that you know are not going to play or be impactful on your program just to take them. I mean, there were times where, I mean, even Hugh Freeze, who showed you that you could recruit at a high level at Ole Miss, all jokes aside, uh, at times did sign kids just to sign them. I mean, if you go back and look at some of his recruiting classes and look at some of these players, and you knew then that there's no way they were going to have an impact on your football team. Um, Kiffin's not going to do that. He's not signing kids just to sign kids. So he might have smaller recruiting classes, and he's going to build rosters in other ways. Everything he said in his press conference is coming true. Didn't sign kids just to sign kids, had a smaller class, and is getting players in different ways. Transfers uh, from... A graduate transfer transfers from two separate SEC schools, and he's also going to go the JUCO route. Building a roster just a, a completely different way, um, and basically what I'm trying to say is he didn't lie to you. <laughs> what he said in his press conference is coming true, and it it's a big deal. It matters. These four guys are instant impact guys. It's a big deal. And on the state side of this, just like one final thought on that, because I think we do have some state listeners from uh, what what I've heard is uh, is look like 
this is not the I would like if, this would be this to me does not spell doom and gloom for Mississippi State either or any sort of long term trend. They're undergoing a drastic change. I mean, what was what was kind of the I say narrative. People don't like the word narrative because they assume like people now the way the word narrative used it means uh, something that's like not true, like a, a narrative that's not true. But narrative actually just means a storyline. The storyline right. when when Joe Moorhead was fired is that there were culture problems within that program, and I, I think most state people would, would would probably admit that. And those covering the program, I, I mean, we're telling you that, and so. I think there's going to be a weeding out process. That doesn't mean Jerry and Jones and Fabian Lovett are locker room cancers, but there's just going to be attrition when you cut, when you have a drastic change like that, like Moorhead Mullen to Moorhead was a smoother transition. It was, it was a bright, one of the brightest offensive minds in college football. He was inheriting a team that was ready to launch. Like that was going to be maybe Mullen's best team. If not one of them, it was a smooth transition. The program's in a drastically different place at this state. You've got a guy with a drastically different philosophy. If there's ever a guy that's going to do things his own way, it's Mike Leach. So there's going to be some attrition and there's going to be some guys that leave. And so I think this is only natural for the, for the position Mississippi state is currently in. And so I wouldn't necessarily like, like I wouldn't look at this as, Oh, what the hell is going on inside the walls in that place? I think this is just kind of natural. And honestly, if they had had spring football to me, maybe more of this would have happened, not necessarily to Ole Miss, but they'd have probably had more attrition. Yeah, maybe so. And that's, that's where nuance has to come in is I, I agree with you. I mean, the, the football coach tweeted a, an image that had a noose in it. While I, I honestly, when I saw it, I laughed. I don't think he meant anything by it. That is something that happened. That was a self-inflicted wound. But other than that, it, uh, this should be expected when you have coaching turnover. I, I mean, when Ole Miss fired Matt Luke, and even before they fired Matt Luke, how many guys were either in the transfer portal or considering transferring from Ole Miss? It wasn't until after Kiffin was hired that some of these guys decided to stick around. I mean, that that's an expected thing that's going to happen is when there's coaching turnover, uh, there's going to be roster turnover. When there's a global pandemic and the coaches can't work with their players, um, some of them may leave. I, I just... I'm with you. I don't think this means the sky is falling. I mean, the, the guy hasn't coached a practice yet. He hasn't coached a single practice with his football team at all. So there's no way of knowing for sure whether or not uh, there's like a, some kind of bad culture within the program. And, and let's remember, as you pointed out, a, a team's starting linebacker punched his starting quarterback in the face, breaking his face, and knocked him out of their bowl game. Like that is something that actually happened in that program. There's going to be some warts and some changes and some recovery time from a culture that 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 happened it had clearly in, gone sour it had gone sour and i mean the, the guy didn't even get punished for it and so i mean you can only speculate because nobody around there is going to talk about why it happened but i think there's a reason willie gay did not get punished and it's not because they were too weak i, I have a feeling something happened there you know more than just a sucker punch right so there was clearly something wrong there and it doesn't just snap your fingers and recover when you hire a guy like Mike Leach, who's literally not allowed to be around his team right now. So it doesn't 
It doesn't mean the sky is falling. I do think that this is uh, this should be a warning uh, for the few Mississippi State fans that listen. As I said on our last show, that it's it's entirely possible that year one does not go well, and it doesn't mean he wasn't the right hire or anything like that. But when you're trying to dramatically shift your style and, and hiring somebody as unique as Mike Leach, while there's also a global pandemic going on, it may not just happen right away. He may take some time to implement his style into the program. So if you are a state fan listening to this and you listened last Friday, I am a broken clock here. It may not go well in year one. It's very possible. In fact, more likely, it's not a bowl team than it is a bowl team to me because there's just a lot of stuff going against you right now, none of which is Mike Leach's fault, but there's a lot of stuff going against you right now and it may be hard to overcome when, again, he literally cannot see his team right now. He's not allowed to. Yep, I agree. So what a, uh, what a nice, uh, in the middle of this pandemic, as bored as we got it sometimes, what a nice little splash of 2014-2015 uh, Egg Bowl rivalry Rip, that lasted but, a man, week. Just, see, just let's lovely. Let's just keep going. Let's throw out some wild conspiracies here, man. Hey, just go freaking wild. Like, we had... <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, somebody text into the radio show yesterday. I mean, like you said, flashes of 2014 um, about how he's hearing that Ole Miss has another booster problem in the NCAA is investigating. Like, I, it just I, it just gave me flashbacks. Like, before I was married, before my son was born, uh, when life was much simpler, you know, when all I had to worry about was answering questions about the NCAA. It, it was It brought me back. I started covering Ole Miss football in 2016, so I actually missed most of the fun there and uh, really only saw the downturn of it. So, uh, yeah, I'm actually experiencing this for the first time. So, lucky me. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, we can throw out some shit if you want to throw it out. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm down I, uh, for that. I, I just I don't think I can top the ones that have already been thrown out there, so I want to give them the proper respect that they deserve. Let's uh, Let's pivot to... Uh, hell with it. Let's go to the golf first because the, uh, the the there's a lot of stuff going on with the professional sports league right now that we'll get to at the end. Uh, admittedly, I was out of pocket. I didn't really get to watch hardly much of this at all. I caught bits and pieces. I caught some clips via social media. Uh, I kind of had a feeling this was going to be the way it was going to go. We were talking about how maybe we weren't as excited for it because Tiger versus Phil last time you paid 100 bucks for it and the golf kind of stunk. You might got four dudes with four pretty good personalities, or three, and then Tiger, who's honestly kind of molding into a not good personality. I mean, Tiger now versus Tiger 15 years ago is uh, pretty crazy stuff uh, like in, in terms of his evolution. So anyway, uh, it seemed to be really entertaining. So uh, Tom Brady, eight handicap, had a, seemed to have a day on the golf course that all of us have that probably end up with broken clubs or your bag got throwing in the water. It seemed like he just had an absolutely rough day. Did he get, did he get the shanks or was he just hitting it bad? He was just hitting it poorly. Uh, and he ripped just, his pants in the rain. I don't really know. Like if I'm Tom Brady, like I wouldn't have made the turn on the back. I would have gone home. And that was after he holed out from the fairway too. So he pulls out and then while, while he's reaching for the ball, he rips his pants. So even when he did something good, he did something bad. Yikes. Uh, um, no, so, it was good, though. Look, and I saw a lot of people uh, just 
there's no way he's an eight and a half or whatever. And it's like, man, look here. Um, first of all, eight and a halves are not that good. They're good, like compared to the average golfer, right? If you're shooting 80 every time you're out there, you're not a bad player, but you're certainly not good, especially when you're used to watching good players on TV. A guy that's shooting eight over is going to be atrocious. Now, it was raining, probably a course that is more difficult than he's used to. He's got two of these huge, like, microphone receivers on his back. And when he holed out, by the way, one fell off and, like, swung with him. So he's got these microphones he's not used to playing with. He's on a, a course that is probably more difficult than the one he's used to playing. He's got TV cameras and stuff on him. And he's playing against two of the best players to ever live. Like, of course... He's going to look terrible, and he didn't play well. He didn't play to an eight and a half, but it is entirely plausible that Brady's at eight and a half. I believe that he is. I mean, he's got a pretty good, like, balanced golf swing. Like, he knew what he was doing. It's just he was next to Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. So, of course, he's going to look like shit. But this, oh, there's no way he's an eight and a half. Like, guys, that's shooting 80 every time he plays. Like, that's exactly what an eight and a half looks like. Yeah, people that say that don't watch, like, that, I saw that sentiment some, and it's probably people that don't really watch golf or are not that familiar with how the handicapping system works, because I think one of the misconceptions to casual golf fans is the handicap, if you have 10 scores, it's the average of your best five. And yeah. so, and, and we've all had days like that. I mean, there's nothing worse than going to play with the group of pe people that either you don't know or you haven't played with before. And in Tom Brady's case, uh, just, uh, you know, all of America watching. And you tell them you're handicapped to try to play, you know, to try to get whatever money game they're in to try to make the teams even. And you just completely shit the bed and have an awful day. And you're like, oh, get a load of this asshole. He lied about his handicap. You know, probably not the case. It's just, it's not a great feeling. And uh, honestly, from watching some of the highlights, and I, I went back and tried to watch some of it last night uh, before I fell asleep. Uh, honestly, credit to Brady. I know he couldn't get mad because he's mic'd up and there's cameras everywhere, but like that would have driven me to my wits end to not just completely lose my mind. I mean, that's the most frustrating type of golf you can play. And like credit to him for kind of staying in it because he played well on the back, right? And they kind of made a run at the thing. They did. They made a run late, and he did play better uh, for sure, but... You could tell he was getting frustrated. And, I mean, you can imagine the kind of competitor that that dude is and playing bad golf when you're next to Tiger and Phil. And, and then a guy who, I mean, you kick the shit out of most of the times you played against Manning. I mean, he owns Peyton Manning. And Manning was owning him on the golf course to keep his cool was probably the hardest thing he's done in a while. Yeah, that's a, that's another side of this that it, it to compound Brady's struggles, the guy he's playing with that's perceived as the weaker golfer just kind of put on a stripe show. Like that doesn't help as that has helped you as well. But as far as the event as a total, it seemed pretty awesome. You had Phil giving the chipping lessons, guys mic'd up, they have tons of personality. Like like you know, one of the things we talked about, and I don't remember if me and you were doing the podcast yet or if it was still me and Colin, or maybe we talked about this on the radio show, but kind of one of the storylines from golf media when this Tiger versus Phil match was announced was this could kind of come be the norm. Like you could have, not the norm, this could be more normal. You could have guys kind of scheduling skins matches or matches like this on television, and this could be kind of a new alternative way to broadcast golf that's obviously separate from the PGA tour. And that really lost steam when 
you know, the match kind of stunk. I mean, like it was just kind of yeah. boring. But this can work, and they can do more of this in the future. And well, maybe it was just because it was it rated well because everyone starred for a live sporting event where you watch without knowing the outcome. You know, maybe it's just the pandemic. But I don't see why they couldn't do more of this. I don't see why you couldn't have you know Dustin Johnson and. I mean, I mean, this is a terrible example because they just did this two weeks ago. But Rory McIlroy picking two of their celebrity friends or whatever and going out and, and kind of you know clowning around on the course and playing a match or whatever. Or Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and, you know, the spring break crew doing something like that with a couple amateurs. Like, this was entertaining stuff. If you have, like, basically all you need is some a microphone, a television broadcast, and then two you know two three non-professionals that one have a good personality uh and don't completely suck at golf yeah and uh, for what it's worth uh, according to the la times this morning uh because it was so successful uh mickelson and woods are in talks to make it an annual event uh they would include other athletes and celebrities uh, steph curry was mentioned um michael jordan uh, Patrick Mahomes, like guys that they know play golf uh, to some degree, and Steph is is better than average. I mean, hell, That's he almost he out. almost made a cut on a web tour. So That's what I threw out. Wouldn't this have been more? I, I, I said I was nitpicky. I tried to nitpick this event when it first was announced, just to kind of be that guy. Wouldn't it have been kind of fun if it were Romo and Curry, guys that are kind of you know scratch golfers that have kind of tested the professional waters? Yeah, um, as long as they, they're willing to, to talk shit and stuff like that, as long as they don't take it too seriously. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I, look, from the little I was able to catch of this, this seemed like a raging success, and not to really bury the lead here, they raised $20 million for charity, right? That's not exactly a drop in the bucket. $20 million. And, man, it was a success. And, uh, of course, there's an element of it's live sports, so people just watch it. Like NASCAR had a massive number a couple weeks ago just because it was something live that was sports. Um, so there's a, an element of that. But the broadcast was so well done. I mean, everything about it was like enjoyable to watch. I watch golf tournaments. I enjoy watching the sport. But sometimes it bores me. Like It's a very good dad nap sport because there's just not a whole lot of action or, or personality or whatever but having like Justin Thomas uh, on the course, it, they just like let him just let it fly. Like he he told Barkley that he need, he would like to see his fat ass come down here and dunk a basketball right now. It's stuff like that. It just everybody was loose and, and it was relaxed, and they didn't force like Bill Murray into the broadcast like the the one two weeks ago. It felt like everybody was having fun, and the access to the players was something that they need to do forever. I mean, I know you're not going to get every pro to be mic'd up, and you're certainly not going to get players talking shit to the guys in the booth during uh, rounds. But that one thing that you mentioned, Phil giving a chipping lesson, uh, talking through shots. Uh, I mean, Peyton made a long putt, and you hear Tiger behind him helping him line up the putt. That kind of shit was so cool. And I wish we had more of that in regular golf broadcasts. I don't know if it would lead to more viewers, but it would make the broadcast more engaging and more enjoyable. So the PGA Tour and people that put on these events need to allow players to be mic'd up. They need to make the players in the process of playing the game more accessible. In the match, beyond like, like how much fun they had and the shit talking and, and stuff like that, 
it showed that we need more access to the players during tournaments and what they're saying in the process of the game. That proved that we needed that. And Phil was on Dan Patrick this morning. Uh, they just tweeted a, a clip of Phil saying, look, the banner's not going to be as good, but I'm all for being mic'd up during tournaments. I'm fine with that. So I would give it to I us. would say I, I, I'm just a guess. I'm just guessing here. The problem, I agree, it would be incredible. But I think the reason, one of the reasons we probably don't already have that is I would say Phil's a pretty, pretty drastic minority and particularly golfers wanting to be mic'd up on tour events. You know, Ricky Fowler's kind of a people pleaser. I could see him being like, yeah, whatever, I'll get mic'd up. Um, honestly, in a competition event, I could see Rory McIlroy just being like, yeah, I don't know about that. I just think that guys, the lack of willingness, because you see it with the NBA and I mean, somewhat with the NFL, the NFL films does a hell of a job. Like the reason whenever you see mic'd up NBA stuff and all you see is coaches just telling them to get back and play defense and rebound is because they don't want like actual, like good quality, like, you know, inside baseball type stuff going out over the mic and they hate being mic'd up. I know NFL football players don't like being mic'd up. So there's, if you can find some middle ground between the players and, and, and the tour and like make more of it happen, I'm all for it. I just think you're going to get pushback from players on being mic'd up. But if they just want to mic up Phil Mickelson for every event he plays for the rest (laughs) of his life, I'm all for that too. Yeah. Um, So just give them the option then like, Hey, you don't have to do it, but and here's how you can sell it too. If you have the mic, you're more likely to get airtime, and therefore your sponsors are going to be happier, and you might be more valuable. Like there's your incentive for being mic'd up, right? Is we're not going to put mics on these dudes and then not show them. So if you put a mic on, you're getting more airtime, and if you get more airtime, NetJets on your collar gets more value for sponsoring you. So next time you negotiate your deal, you can say, Hey, I got. I got seen more than these other guys pay me more. Maybe that's their incentive to get uh, guys to agree to it. Cause I, I, I fully agree with you that there's no way you're getting every player to agree to it, but I'm sure you could get enough to where you could add that element into your broadcast and make it awesome. Like, do you think Kevin Kisner, for example, wouldn't be mic'd up? He did a thing with Barstool yesterday where he played against the Barstool golf podcast guys and they got to scramble. They beat him by two, I think. But it, it was it, he played, and then they got to scramble, and they did a competition with each other. So if this guy's willing to do that with Barstool, you would imagine he's willing to be mic'd up during a Thursday round, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It just kind of depends on the player and the personality because, I mean, for as, ever, ever, I mean, for as many good guys as the tour has, they do kind of have some assholes. <laughs> so of course, yeah. To, I mean, it's golf, right? It's crowd. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. They need more golf needs more alternative stuff like this. And honestly, that's to golf's credit for as, as stuffy as they as the vibe is or reputation as they get. Sometimes golf has been incredibly receptive to alternative forms of media, whether it's barstool and credentialing them or what they've do, let no laying up in places like that done. Uh, you know, for for you know, they get a bad rap for being this old stuffy sport, but in terms of engaging younger fans in new media and stuff like that, they've done a really good job with that. I mean, they credential uh, Barstool to the majors and other events. I mean, they let No Laying Up kind of do their thing. They they've been more receptive of that than I think they get credit for sometimes. Yeah, for sure, and it's like you said, it's always going to cater to the the older and stuffy because that's who mostly play golf is the. Uh, the older rich white dudes. I mean, that's just kind of how it works, but um, this would be a great way to continue on that success because 
you can't model what you do on social media. I think the NBA's kind of done that, and that's why ratings aren't great. Uh, in fact, they're bad. Because most of their stars and most of what they do is geared towards being social media friendly. Well, that's not where the majority of people are. And when all of NBA media is what the Lakers are doing or what small market stars should go play for the Lakers, and then here's what Carmelo Anthony said on his Instagram He's having an Instagram beef with this player. Nobody that's over the age of 30 is going to give a shit. So the NBA is too catered, and the coverage of the NBA is far too catered on like social media. And so you can go too far with that and lose your audience. So golf, of course, needs to find a happy medium, but there is a way to get a younger audience, and that is to have stuff like that that is easily shareable and attractive for the online community, which is mostly younger people to get interested in your sport again. So there, there's got to be a happy medium because you've got to cater to your um, your OGs, which is the people that like buy the Mercedes that advertise on your broadcast. But there's a way to get that younger audience. And I think that'd be a good place to start is, like you said, continuing to give more access and more platforms to uh, the guys like the Barstool guys and no laying up and, and – um, there's an old Miss grad that writes for Bro Bible. I don't know what that is really, but he's a golf writer for a website that is clearly geared towards younger, a younger audience, right? So give those kind of websites and those kind of people more access to your tournaments and then do things like mic'd up players that you can put online and it'll go viral. It's a good way to complement what you already have, which is a devout, older demographic that you're probably not losing. Any more takeaways from it this week? I mean, you, you you watched a lot more of it than I was able to, but seemed like fun uh, to Tiger and Peyton win, Phil and Brady lose. Uh, I mean, any other Yeah, Tiger still got it. it? Um, Tiger played well. He's hitting the driver well, looks like. He looks like he's in good shape and, and comfortable. Um, and Phil still has it, too. I don't think he's going to win another major, but I bet he'll still be – in the hunt for a few more uh, before he really his age really starts showing. They both looked good. Uh, swings looked good. They hit the ball well. It was raining. The weather sucked. But I thought that was encouraging because, um, yes, there are young stars in the sport, really good players, but Tiger and Phil are still the faces of golf mostly. I mean, if you asked the, the average person, name me professional golfers, that's probably the first two you're going to get like 90% of the time. So even though Phil's aging – and Tiger's battling his health, seeing them both looking good was nice. So when golf returns in the fall and they're competing against football this fall, um, it, it'll be nice to have their two biggest, most recognizable guys hopefully playing well. And they looked good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Phil still got the club head speed, still hits the ball a long way, as he said, uh, I think, in the video before the round, high, nasty bombs. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I saw on one tee he said he's going to need to high, activate the calves and hit a high nasty bomb. Uh, but yeah, I mean he's 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 still got it. You know, your age doesn't start really showing as much until you start losing distance. And he's I think was seventieth, seventy fifth in driving distance on tour this year, which is not great, but not exactly fading either. Yeah, uh, you'll take so, that. I think. Yeah, he's at three hundred one. Our our friend Bryson DeChambeau actually leads the tour at three twenty one point three per drive. Uh, then your usual suspects after that, McElroy, Cameron Champ, who hits the ball an like, absolute mile, Bubba Watson. Uh, you kind of get the picture. But, yeah, I think uh, I think I would like to see Phil win one more just for uh, 
to see what would happen on Twitter after Phil has Man. not won a major since he joined Twitter, and we would all like to uh, like <laughs> to see that. The online about- community's done a full 180 on Phil Mickelson. Like there are still some people that are hanging on to their hatred of Phil, and uh, of course. Everybody has heard like the stories about how he's really an asshole behind the scenes. And sure, they're probably true. He's just the ultimate rich white guy. He wears a logo of himself. Nothing says I made fifty mil last year than wearing a logo of yourself on your chest. He's just a character. So, so even if he is an asshole behind the scenes, I mean, the way he interacts with fans, especially kids and stuff, and like the persona that he gives off, even if it's fake. For yeah, I've got a Phil Mickelson story. I've been a fan of his since I went to the Masters in, in 07 and 08. In one of the years, um, we set up our chairs to the right of 17T. So you don't have to move. You can stand up and turn and watch putts on 16 and turn around and watch tee shots on 17. So it was a really good spot. And for some reason, on the right side of that tee box, there wasn't a lot of people there. Uh, so we got to put our chairs on the front row on 17 and watch 16 without moving. It was pretty cool. And there was, for some reason, a wait on 17 all day on Sunday. And every player that came through just stood next to their bag with their caddy. This was a Sunday round, too. Just talking to their caddy. Didn't They were robotic, just kind of standing there. Phil Mickelson walked around the tee box saying hey to people, shaking hands, like, thank you for coming, like patting kids on the head, the head and stuff. I mean, like, he looked at me and said, hey, to me. Like, face-to-face, Phil Mickelson said, hey, how's it going? And he shook hands and talked to everybody around the tee box while he was waiting to hit. And that is, because I was, like, 13. That has stuck with me forever. Because even though it's possible that that is fake and he just does it for image, what does 13-year-old me know about behind-the-scenes Phil Mickelson? And when will that ever impact me at all? Never. So that kind of thing was such a cool gesture for a young kid like me going to the Masters for the first time, and Phil Mickelson looked me in the eye and said hello to me. That was so freaking cool. So even if the motivations aren't pure, it doesn't matter when it's it doesn't matter when it's kids, you know, when it's people that are like I felt appreciated, which is weird to say because I was at a sporting event, but the way he acted towards the people, like made a fan out of me and like made my freaking year as a 13 year old kid. So even if it's not like a hundred percent pure and behind the scenes, he's an asshole. That didn't matter to me. I had the best day of my life because Phil Mickelson said, Hey, to me. Uh, So I, if he's an asshole behind the scenes, I I don't care because the way he interacts with people, I think is awesome. And, and I like him and I'll always root for him because even if he's a, a jerk in, in private to other guys on tour, he's awesome with fans, and that goes a long way. Yeah, I don't need to feel to be a good guy. I don't care. I think he's entertaining. I think he's hilarious, and like I don't have a personal relationship with Phil Mickelson, so I don't really care what he does elsewhere. Um, transitioning, you were talking about the NBA earlier. Kind of the last things we probably need to get to today is uh, lots of professional sports league news returning. We'll start with the NBA because we kind of criticized them over the last week or two for just kind of floating out a different version of the same story uh, for basically the last month or so. But now, to their credit, they have a plan in place. It looks like they're going to restart in Orlando. They are still deciding on the format, um, which there's a lot of different things at play here. Like, they're, they're, it's interesting because I'll give them a pass on this for not having the format yet because this is a complicated thing. 
because they're not going to finish the normal regular season. That just doesn't seem to be possible at that point, though they're going to need to have some tune-up games before they just jump into straight into playoff action. I just don't see uh, that being uh, that plausible to where you can just ask them to go through training camp and then start the playoffs. So whether it's a round-robin tournament where they eliminate the bottom four teams and everyone else plays for the seven and eight seed uh, or the teams in the middle, whatever it is, the NBA has a plan to return uh, it appears to be in Orlando on Disney's campus. And now the next step appears to be figuring out a format of how exactly to return, who gets to return, and how to incentivize as many teams as possible. Yeah, I saw um, a tweet yesterday uh, from a blue check mark. I don't remember who he was, but I imagine I forget, he wrote for a big paper. I, you, may, you may have seen it and you'll it'll jog your memory. But uh, the guy said he's talked to multiple uh, team executives, and the one thing that everybody's going back to is that when you restart, if you go straight to the playoffs, Zion's on a 10 seed. And and all the conversations that they've had are to try to find a way to get him to play. And that's not, I'm not saying this because I, I'm a fan of the team he's on, but executives know that he brings eyeballs and viewership. And if they're out here saying we have to find a way to get him to play, there's merit to that. So of course I want to see it, but if that's something that they're talking about, it, it's not feasible to start a regular season that's short. Uh, you can't do that. So I, I think with what you're saying, they have to do something like that, whether it's a round robin for final playoff spots or what. You can't continue a shortened regular season because if you do that, Damian Lillard's not going to play. De'Aaron Fox is not going to play. Zion Williamson's not going to play. Brandon Ingram's not going to play. R.J. Barrett's not going to play. And on and What's on and left on. Of the Bradley Beal's not Warriors, going to play. There's just no incentive. Steph Curry's so, not going to play. Clay Thompson. Well, I don't know if he's healthy or not. But but all those guys are not going to play if you have like a five game regular season before the playoffs. It, they're not going to play. So you cannot do that. You have to do either an expanded playoffs like the NHL, and theirs is a little bit different too. So it's not just 24 teams in the playoffs and they're doing a bracket like they are going to work their way into their regular playoff format. The NBA has to do something like that. either Because I don't think they're going to start with the regular playoffs because of the names that I just listed that will not play. I don't think they're going to do that. They're going to have to do the thing that you mentioned, some kind of round-robin deal, because that will bring in more games with more of their stars that would not be on playoff teams otherwise. So the idea that I like the best is eliminate the bottom four teams from each conference. So from the East, that would be the Knicks, Detroit, Atlanta, and Cleveland. In the West, that would be San Antonio, Phoenix, Minnesota, and Golden State. And you let the seven and eight seeds be played out. So that would be Brooklyn, Orlando, Washington, and Charlotte in the East playing a round robin of some sort. I don't know the format. Use your imagination for the last two playoff spots in the West. That would be Dallas, Memphis, Portland, and new Orleans. So you get Zion in there and you get these two, all four of these two teams playing for the last two playoff spots and jockeying per position. Is it the most fair team? Because most fair way to do things because Dallas is 13 games over 500 and the Pelicans are 28 and 36. No, but Hey man, global pandemic probably just going to have to make the best of it. 
But I just think incentivizing two playoff spots work better because if you just have three or four teams playing for the eight seed and your reward is to get absolutely whopped by the Bucks or the Lakers, then it just seems stupid. Or not stupid. It just not it seems like there's not enough motivation there or not enough incentive. So that's what I would like to see. I saw Mark Cuban. I have not read this story yet. I'm going to read it when we get done recording because I was trying to read it earlier while we were podcasting. It just my brain did not work well. But it was basically a proposal to bring everyone back, all 30 teams back, and everyone except the Golden State Warriors last in the West and the Cavs last in the East could make the playoffs. I haven't seen what the details of that are. I, I'm just saying that to say there's been a lot of different proposals out there but at least the NBA does have a plan. There seems to be getting close to it. I don't know how they're going to work this out. But once you do get to the normal playoffs, however the qualifying system is, can they get to the 70-game threshold for the TV, tele, local television or regional television revenue? I don't know. But one thing that is for certain, Adam Silver seems absolutely emphatic on each round being a seven-game series. And I think that's important in the sense that while I don't think the first round needs to be seven games, I would be a proponent, and it used to be this way before you and I were, well, it may have been after you and I were born, long before we probably watched the NBA, uh, it used to be five games. I just think that's important because you've had all this conversation about the legitimacy factor of this season, and would they be viewed as a legitimate champion? If you win 11 playoff games through a neutral site, or I guess it'd be 12, you win 12 games through a neutral site and you win an NBA championship and like particularly if you're the Lakers or the Clippers or the Bucks or something without home court advantage to me that's every bit as legitimate and probably maybe even more so than a normal NBA title so whatever the qualifying system is I'll be interested to see how that plays out but I do think there will be the legitimacy to this I don't necessarily buy in as much as I used to to there being an asterisk on this season do you no um and <laughs> It's funny. Somebody wrote a column yesterday about how uh, the the NBA champion this year should be looked at differently than regular NBA champions. And uh, I almost replied and said, unless the Lakers win, in which ESPN will call it the most legitimate championship of all time. Otherwise, yes, they would put an asterisk next to it. Um, it's only partially true, I guess. But no, I would view them as a regular champion. It's still... I mean, they played a season that may have been cut short a little bit, but you still have to win. it's longer than lockout years. Yeah. I get it's in a bubble with no fans and neutral site, but to me that doesn't really make – like maybe it's a little more gimmicky if the Rockets is like a four seed because they don't have to go play on the road and stuff win it. But if like the Lakers or the Bucks or the Clippers win it, to me it's every bit as legitimate. That doesn't – like that argument doesn't hold water for me. No, not at all. It, even if it's not one of them, like if Denver found a way – to win the NBA championship, would that really be seen as illegitimate? Because it's not like Denver doesn't have stars. I mean, if you look at the Lakers, they have one of the greatest players to ever live, a top five player in the league right now, and then Kyle Kuzma. So it's not like the Lakers are some impenetrable force that if they don't win, it's some kind of conspiracy. Denver has one of the best centers in the league. I mean, a guy that's incredibly skilled, even though he drinks like 10 two-liters a day. They've got a future superstar. It's a really balanced roster in Denver. So if they won, you know people would say, oh, it's not legitimate. They only won because of blah, blah, blah. When in reality, it was a really good basketball team and one that – it doesn't take like galaxy brain to think that they could beat the Lakers in seven games. 
Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree. With, I agree with you generally. I do think, though, just perception-wise, the NBA needs one of these favorites to win the title this year because it probably would be more seen as fluky if a lower seed or a higher seed, I guess, wins it. Like if a Houston or a Denver or honestly even a Philly in some ways wins it. Like they didn't have to go play Milwaukee in a game seven and win a series in another team's building when they didn't have home court advantage. Like yeah. Denver didn't have to go to Los Angeles and go play in the Staples Center when they didn't have home court advantage. Whereas if you have one of the favorites win, like Milwaukee or the Clippers or the Lakers, then it's like, okay, this is definitely like completely legitimate. I think it's legit either way. I think it's a hell of an accomplishment no matter who it is. But I think the perception of illegitimacy comes in probably a little more if one of the higher seeds wins it because odds of them doing that in a normal playoff setting and winning where they a seven-game series without home court advantage is not that likely. Yeah, and I hope it's Milwaukee. If they do return, it's obviously not going to be New Orleans. Uh, if, if somebody's going to win, I want it to be Giannis in Milwaukee, and I want him to sign a Supermax and stay there forever just just to give me hope that Zion sticks in New Orleans for a long time. Yeah, I would like to see the end of this trend of these younger players leaving their small market teams for higher-profile coastal cities as well. I would, um, I'm would, i 100% in that, but I'd like I mean, to see the, the Bucks win it as well. The Jump did a full segment during the season when it was actually going on about why Giannis should leave Milwaukee for Golden State. And I understand, yeah. I understand that Steph and Clay were hurt, but you were they spent an entire segment on this player should leave a team with the best record to play for the team with the worst record in the league. Like come on. That that's exhausting. No wonder your ratings are down. You're telling middle America not to give a shit because unless you're in California or New York City, you don't matter. It's ridiculous. So, at least they have a plan. They're coming back. Now, on the flip side of things here, the last thing we'll get to probably before we get out of here, uh, baseball is in the midst of a brutally ugly fight, and it was not one that anyone like didn't see coming. Like This was not unexpected. Uh, th- not to sound like I'm patting myself on the back here because I think we all kind of caught on to this, but when this first story from Jeff Passan came out two, three weeks ago about the MLB possibly returning, I think the first thing that kind of came, like, I think Richard asked everyone what stuck out to them about the story. And it's like, hey, these guys are about to fight about cash. And guess what they're fighting about? Money. And it is becoming an ugly fight. This is probably Jeff Passan wrote a story and did a little video, like, vlog type thing on what all of ESPN's platforms about how this could potentially be the most consequential week for Major League Baseball in a quarter century. And I, I agree with it. I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think that's dramatic. If they're going to play a baseball season, they either have to get something done or be damn close by the end of this week. And the story that came out as late as last night, that would be Tuesday evening for whenever you're listening to this, uh, about how far apart the owners and the players are on money is, one, I think to be taken with a grain of salt because I think this is just part of the process. But at the same time, I'm willing to concede it doesn't sound great. I still just – maybe it's just me because I like baseball and I don't want to believe that they're going to screw this up. I still think they're going to find a way to play. But, man, they're uh, they're far apart on what they see as far as the uh, suitable financial conditions to return, and they don't have a lot of time to close the gap. So when the wage dispute 
uh, really broke, what was it, almost two weeks ago, most everybody, you included, said that they have about two and a half weeks to figure this out. Uh, what are we, 10 days later or so after Blake Snell's comments and, and all that came out? And it doesn't appear that they're any closer to actually having a resolution. Are you concerned about them finding a way to make this work? Because this proposal, and I don't blame the players for saying no to this one. I know people are kind of dunking on them today, and I understand why. Because if they don't figure it out, right or wrong, the perception is going to be the players are the issue, and they're going to lose fans by the millions. I mean, the, the residual effect of this is going to be awful if they don't get it done. However... This proposal, I don't blame the players for saying no. It's absurd. Like, the, the owner sent this to them just so they would say no. Yeah, and uh, along those lines, are you ready? I don't know if you saw Passin, Jeff Passan. You should definitely follow this story. He's been all over this. But the tweet thread he had last night to where the, the proposed additional salary cuts, the proposed, like, a 563, which I think is the league minimum, 563K would be 262. A million dollar salary, you get paid four thirty four. Two million, you get paid seven thirty six. Five million, you get paid one point six four. Ten million dollar salary, you only get paid two point nine five. Fifteen million, you only get four million. Twenty million, you get just over five. Twenty five million, you get just over six. Thirty million, you get just under seven. And thirty five million, you get a whopping seven point eight four million dollars. Now, you remember you if you remember this story, they agreed to prorated salaries back in March, and uh, you know that the, the, those numbers on the surface, the full year versus what is being proposed now, that's a drastic pay cut. But the additional cuts to the prorated salary they agreed to in that agreement in March, 285k would be 262, 500 that 506 would be 434, 100 uh, 1 million would be 736, uh, 2 million would be 1.64. Like you're kind of getting the picture here. It's not that drastic. Uh, in terms of what they're additionally cutting from the prorated salaries they agreed to. But uh, this is a crappy deal for the players. There's just really no way around it. So what happens next? Uh, I mean, they're they're not running out of time, but it's oh, getting close. I would say they're running out of time. I, I mean, this is, is there, not Is there a deadline, or what, what do they do? Do they just keep cutting down the season or pushing it back? How do you fix this? I mean, I guess it's I guess it's not inconceivable if nothing's done this week. But like, I mean, in order to begin in July, you're going to need a three week spring training. Like, if you don't get something done this week, the 82 game season seems in jeopardy. Like, like while it's not 100 percent concrete because nothing in this global pandemic has been concrete. If you don't get something done this week, the odds of you playing any sort of legitimate baseball season drastically diminishes, in my opinion. Or if not this week, very, very early next week. And, you know, they're not only, I mean, not only in the money in this, there's, there's a players association source or a players association statement uh, to ESPN's Enrique Rojas said the proposal involves massive additionally pay cuts and the union is extremely disappointed. We're also far apart on the health and safety protocols. And we went over this last week on the radio show. There are some kind of absurd health and safety protocols. Some of that, I think the, is the MLB just covering its ass from an image perspective, but it's not just money here, even though money is the overarching dispute They're uh, they're far apart and they're got to find, I don't know what happens next. That was your original question. I, I really don't know, but they got to find a way to come together and work this out. Because as we mentioned last week, and we've mentioned a couple of times throughout, 
if baseball screws this up and they don't play baseball this year, this will be the this will be worse than the 1994 strike, and they will lose a lot of fans that will never come back. In my opinion, I don't think baseball, in terms of its popularity, regional or national, will uh, will quite be the same if they don't play this year. And there's so much value in being the first sport to come back. There's yeah. so much value in that. So if you can just find, a, but at the same time, you, you don't know, even have I, to be first. You don't have to be for, first. You just have the, to come back. But just the from the money side of it, like I'm not into this whole like like a lot of people, particularly young people. It seems like uh, uh, I just see a lot of it online, like demonizing billionaires. Like you're 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 a bad guy because you're a billionaire. Like you know the whole like. I see all these tweets all the time. It's like, Jeff Bezos got X amount richer in the pandemic. It's like, yeah, because he created a service so people can get groceries and food and, and, and other things without leaving their house. It's called Amazon. Pretty uh, pretty awesome. Like, I'm not and into It's that. not like he created Amazon to plan for the pandemic anyway. Like, it's not his fault that you're that we had to shut the country down and use his service more. Yeah, like, so what do you I'm want just... him to do? Just shut down his service too and be like, I don't want to make money right now, guys, so – Figure it out on your own. Plant a garden in your backyard. I don't care. Yeah, like is Bezos a great charitable guy? Whatever, debatable. Does he pay as much in taxes as he probably should? Yeah, probably not. I'm like, but I'm not getting into all that day. Point being, I'm not into demonizing billionaires. And but it, it, like, if, who's more equipped to take a significant financial loss? Millionaire players, even though all of them aren't millionaires, are billionaire owners. I'm probably going to go with the latter. And so, well, I'm not in. To like billionaires got the way the, got to the point they got in life because they're smart, shrewd business people that don't like to lose money, and and they're holding pretty much all the leverage here at the end of the day when this all when this is all said and done because the owners aren't really going to share any blame, I mean, aren't going to take much blame if the season doesn't happen, and they're not going to lose really any additional money. Like they're going to lose money either way. But at the same time, if there's ever a year for them to just kind of swallow the sword a little bit and maybe kind of give the players a little more money and let's figure this out and get on the field, that just from your average guy sitting at home watching this play out, that is kind of where I lie on this. Yeah, and the thing is, uh, the billionaire owners, I mean, it's not like baseball is their, their only investment. So if there is a negative public relations hit that comes from this, do you hear my dog back there? Crowling at squirrels, do you hear that? I do not. Okay, good. <laughs> um, they, they can absorb the negative uh, public relations hit that would come with something like this more than the players. As you've mentioned, and as we've talked about a few times, it doesn't matter the reality. Because the perception is going to be the players aren't playing because the players, in part, couldn't come to an agreement. Therefore, I don't like the players anymore. And that damages them far more than I don't like the billionaire owner whose name I've never heard, who I've never seen, whose company I don't even know. Like, there, some of these people, like, they run companies that you've never heard of before, but they're worth billions. You don't know their names. You don't care. And they don't care. They're not impacted by negative press because their portfolio is so diverse that if the baseball team goes under and baseball is never successful again, they'll find something else to invest in and continue making money and not give a shit about what you say on their yacht. But the baseball player needs you to care about what they think because they don't have a diverse portfolio of investments and that's how they're making their money. They're making their money playing baseball. And if that's not as lucrative, there isn't another option for them. So it doesn't matter how it happened, but 
or it doesn't let me let me try to say that differently. It doesn't matter how it really happened. It matters what people think happened. And the baseball purists can scream until they're blue in the face about siding with billionaire owners, but it just doesn't matter because it'll be the players not playing and the players that will hurt from it the most. And I don't know how the, the purest person can't understand that. I, like when Clay Travis tweets something about how baseball, this is a massive failure because there's uh, millions of people out of work and the players aren't going to get this done. And you crawl into his mentions and talk about, oh, you're siding with billionaire owners. You can do that all day long, but it's not going to change a damn thing. They're still not playing the game. And we don't see the owners. We see the players. So, I mean, at Clay Travis, all you want to, you're not fixing anything. You're not, it, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Yeah. Jim. I, uh, I completely agree. Jim. It's, uh, hey. no, ma'am. <laughs> I think your dog is, uh, ringing the bell on this podcast, but I, I couldn't agree more on that. And I still think they're going to play. I just, uh, maybe, maybe my opinion changes by the way things go this week, but I've always just been optimistic because I think there's too much for them to lose. I think they realize that. And, uh, I think something gets done, but ooh, they got a lot of work to do this week. So, I'm sure that's something we'll be able to bring up again on Friday and probably have a better idea of where they're at because that's only three days from now. But that's about all we had for today, podcast-wise. A nice, lengthy podcast to get you back into, hopefully, what is a short work week. But um, remind you, you one more time. for listening to my, according to Mississippi State message board, incoherent <laughs> rambling. Thank you. God, look, if message board hate, hates you, you're probably doing something right. But – Remind you one more time before we get out of here, you got to go check out LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, I took a very amateur picture of the tri-tip and posted it on Twitter, but I promise it'll make you hungry because it was absolutely delicious. He's got steaks, custom-cut sausages. You need to go see Greg. I'm going to have Greg on Friday. I went in there and saw him, and I said, uh, do you bet on UFC? And he said, uh, not really. And I said, all right, great. We're going to get on the podcast and just blindly bet UFC fights. Uh, so I'm probably gonna have Greg on Friday, let him talk some meat and just, I'm going to throw some, throw whatever's on the UFC card at him and see if he can just, uh, hit that at a profitable percentage. So we got that coming Friday, but you need to go check him out. It's absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Uh, this weekend's, uh, meal was absolutely fantastic. The ribeye sausage was incredible. The Swayze sausage is awesome. He's got all kinds of stuff there. You just need to go check it out. Trust me. It is. You won't regret it. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Go throw something on the grill. Enjoy this beginning of summer weather. Let LBs help you decide what you want to put on the grill. Go see him. Greg's awesome. But uh, we'll have him on Friday. Borky and I will be on radio, Sports Talk Mississippi, 3 to 6 p.m. today, tomorrow, and Friday. We'll be back at it for Mailbag Friday. You know the drill. Send us your questions. But uh, thanks for tuning in. Hope everyone had a good and safe Memorial Day weekend. And we'll be back at it on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.